Our series is called Dirt Poor, and we're in part two tonight, and I'm so honored to be able to teach you about uh, Jesus' parable of the sower. That's what most people call it. The parable was so simple, and yet it had so many layers of meaning. Such a great multitude had gathered that day that Jesus had to actually get in a boat and push away from the shore. Only that would allow enough distance between him and the multitude so they could all hear the words that he was speaking. On that day, some would receive revelation while others would perceive only riddles. Some would be profoundly motivated while others would be entirely frustrated. We talked about it last week. For those with eyes to see and ears to hear, for those who hungered and thirsted after righteousness, his parables would reveal truth. But for those who were self-righteous and self-satisfied, for those who were smug and sophisticated, his parables to them would only conceal truth. And the same thing happens today, brothers and sisters. Whenever the word of God is preached or taught, some accept it, some reject it. Some come to the altar, some walk out the door. To some, it is absolutely essential. To others, it's totally optional. Some discover life-changing answers, and others uncover only more confusing questions. It all depends on the condition of the heart. So it was then, and so it is now. Here's the parable that we're studying in this short four-week series. Matthew 13, and Jesus spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Forthwith, uh, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then he adds this, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the, the title of our series is unique. Because in ancient times, animals were often housed under the same roof as the poor people who used them to make a living. And so a dirt floor was the only practical option in their dwellings. But for most of these peasants, a dirt floor was the only possible option anyway because they had no money outside of just a few meager possessions. And so only wealthy people could afford anything other than dirt for their floors. And over the years, across languages and cultures, there arose this familiar expression that we still use today. We say, they're dirt poor. And so our series isn't talking about the condition of your floor or your house or your bank account, but it is talking about the condition of the soil that is in your heart. As we look at Jesus' first parable, he reveals to us that most people, if, if the stats hold true, it's three quarters of people are dirt poor. The soil of their heart simply will not sustain spiritual growth because they never allow the word of God to fully take root. 
and this is important, and we'll talk about it a bit in a moment, the sower doesn't change, and the seed doesn't change, but the heart can prove fickle. The prophet Jeremiah said, your heart is uh, wicked, it's, it's despicable, it's desperate above all things, it's desperately wicked, he says. And so the heart can give off false signals. You can appear one way on the surface, but underneath, your, your heart presents a totally different reality. And that's why Jesus teaches us that the human heart, like the soil of a field, can be in multiple conditions. It can be hardened, it can be shallow, it can be strangled, or it can be fruitful. Now, nobody was mystified by Jesus' story on that day by the seashore. Nobody was mystified. Only those of us who are accustomed to a world of pavement and concrete and steel would find his imagery unfamiliar. For those listeners that Jesus addressed on that day, they lived in an agricultural society. So his parable, it just described their everyday life. Fields in first century Israel were long, narrow strips of land. They were marked off and they were surrounded by footpaths. Not fences, not hedges, but footpaths. And the sower used what uh, today we would call a broadcasting method. He would uh, take a handful of seed, one handful at a time, out of a seed bag by his side. And he would fling that seed in a, over a wide swath in kind of an arc pattern. And the arc of dispersal might have looked indiscriminate and random. And to a large degree, it probably was. But the method had the advantage of covering large areas of ground with pretty much evenly scattered seed. A skillful sower would not waste seed by letting it fall in concentrated patches or mound up in little piles. He would throw the seed as widely and as evenly as possible. The goal was to cover the entire plowed field with no margins on the perimeter left unseeded. Now, here's the challenge, of course. It is impossible to throw seed by hand like that at the edges of a field and, not, and guarantee that it's all going to stay in the field. It's, it's, it's too imprecise. You throw seed, you're right at the edge of the field, you're right at the corner of the plot, and Invariably, some seed will fall outside the perimeter of the tilled up soil. And even the seed cast on the interior of the field, right out in the middle of the, the tilled soil, it, you could find patches of ground where the soil for agriculture was, it was far from ideal. Only the seed that found its way into good ground would ever yield a crop worth harvesting. And that's Jesus' point. And on that day, by the seashore, everybody there who had ever sown seed, they fully understood this principle. It was a simple point. Jesus wasn't being complex or complicated or, or, or trying to be cerebral. It was a very simple point to grasp. And on that day, to that multitude gathered on the seashore while he sat in a boat and taught them, he told them about four different types of soil they would easily recognize this from their everyday life. Jesus said, first of all, there's hardened soil. He says, some seeds fell by the wayside, hardened soil. And that refers 
to those well-worn footpaths that separated the fields into long squares, into long rectangles, really. The soil on those footpaths remained unplowed, of course, because it was a boundary and it's how you walked around the field or to the field. But in that dry, arid, desert climate, those pathways, when they were dry, they were as hard as concrete. As the sower tried to sow seed at the outer edge of the plowed field, some of the seed invariably, inevitably would end up on that hardened earth that formed those pathways. It was called the wayside. And seed that landed there, it had no hope whatsoever of penetrating that hard ground, that footpath. So it would either lie there and be trampled and crushed underfoot, or it would be eaten by birds before it ever had a chance to sprout. And birds, while they're small, and you don't think much of most of them, birds are surprisingly intelligent and they are relentlessly aggressive when it comes to snatching away every last trace of scattered seed on bare ground. And so that's what happened. Everyone say hardened soil. That's the first kind of soil. And then Jesus talked about another type of soil. He said, there's also shallow soil. He said, some fell upon stony places. Now that isn't really referring to a patch of ground full of rocks because no self-respecting farmer would leave a bunch of stones in the soil of his field. So that's not what it's talking about. When the field was plowed, whatever rocks were tilled up to the surface, they would be removed and carried away. So it's not talking about a field full of rocks. Instead, what Jesus is describing here when he says some fell upon stony places, he's describing a, a, a plot of land that has a rock bed or a rock ledge under the soil's surface. There's a shallow layer of good soil on the top, but underneath where you can't see it, there's a rock ledge, there's a rock bed. And that underlying rock is invisible to the farmer when the field is being plowed. A plowshare only went maybe 8 to 10 inches deep. And so if there was a layer of limestone just even a foot below ground, you'd never hit it when you were tilling up the soil of that field. It would be so hard to detect. So you've got maybe a foot of, of soil, but then you've got this hard rock underneath that. So such a shallow layer of soil would not be deep enough, and it wouldn't stay moist enough to sustain crops, especially in such a dry climate. In such soil, and here's the trick, in such soil the seed will germinate, Almost as soon as it begins to look lush, however, you notice something. It starts to wither away. So it springs up fast because the soil's shallow and the roots are going everywhere. And, and, but then, as soon as it just starts to look right, it starts to wither because there's not sufficient water. The roots simply can't get past that solid layer of rock. So for a while, the crop might look healthy, it might look full of potential, but when the sun comes out and the water in that shallow ground evaporates, that seed, those plants, they, they die out as quickly as they spring up. 
that kind of land, that would be the bane of a farmer who had done everything he possibly could to plow his field, to till his field, to sow seed in his field, but he just didn't realize that a layer of rock lay just underneath. That part of the crop would at first seem to grow more rapidly than all the rest because there's no room for the roots to go down, so it just spreads out and there's plants growing everywhere. And the plant's abundant topside growth would appear especially leafy. It would look wonderful for a while. But any experienced farmer would know right away when you see all that leafy growth and it's looking better than every other part of the field, that's not a good sign. An experienced farmer would know that that crop is not developing an adequate root system. Everyone say shallow ground. So you've got soil that's hardened, you've got soil that's shallow. And then Jesus talks about a third kind of soil, and that is strangled soil. He says some fell among thorns. So this kind of soil is weed-infested soil. It's full of useless, wild vegetation. It's got thorns and nettles and thistles and brambles. The, the Greek word for thorns here is acantha. And it's the same word used to describe the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head when they mocked him. In the English language, acanthus is the name of a Mediterranean shrub, and it has real spiny leaves, so it kind of looks like thorns. In ancient Greek architecture, when they did those great big pillars and they put a, a Corinthian capital on the top of the pillars, those images on top of all those ancient pillars that you would see, they are acanthus leaves. But see, thorns and thistles are useless for any agricultural purpose. In fact, thorns and thistles and brambles and nettles, they're, they're harmful to crops because they take over the field and when they do, they choke out everything else. Strangled soil. And that's part of the curse, you remember, way back in Genesis 3 and 18. That the ground would bring forth thorns and, and weeds and thistles. And here's part of the curse, way back in the book of Genesis. How many of you have noticed this if you've ever gardened anything or even if you just have a lawn? Weeds grow better and faster than everything else. You notice that? That's part of the curse. Thank Adam and Eve for that. And, and, and so that's the strangled soil. Seeds sowed in a field of weeds, it never matures to a healthy harvest. You can plow up a field of weeds, but many more new weeds will grow, even from the mutilated remnants of the old weeds. And freshly plowed, weed-infested soil, it looks wonderful. It looks fertile. It has a deceptively promising appearance. On the surface, it looks rich and loamy and well-cultivated. It looks ready for seed. But underneath, there's a tragic reality here. The dense roots and the tiny seeds that are left over from all those noxious weeds, even if you try to till them up, well, they're still there under the soil. And they're ready to spring forth. Copious foliage everywhere, but it's totally 
worthless. And those weeds, as they grow, they suck up the soil's moisture and they drain out the nutrients and they grow high enough to sometimes block out the sunlight from other plants. And so those weeds, that weed infested, that strangled soil, it chokes the life out of anything else growing in the field that could be beneficial. Everyone say strangled soil. So we've got Hardened soil, we've got shallow soil, we've got strangled soil, and now Jesus gets to the fourth kind of soil. He says, but other fell into good ground, so we finally get to fruitful soil. Thankfully, some of the seeds that this sower threw into his field, they find fertile, fruitful soil. The seed that lands within this plowed field can flourish because it can get down into the soil. It can get out from underfoot where it could be trampled. It can get off the hardened ground where the birds can't find it. Its roots are able to penetrate deeply because this is clean soil. It's free from weeds and it's got room for the crop to thrive. This is in every sense of the word prepared soil. Somebody has worked hard to make sure this soil is ready for seed. It's prepared soil. It's fertile soil. It's fruitful soil. And so the seed that falls on this soil, it produces an abundant crop. Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8, they are parallel passages and they record this same parable of Jesus. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus says that seed sown in this good ground, it brings forth 30-fold, 60-fold, or even an 100-fold. Luke only describes the very best of the soil, and he says that the very best soil yields an 100-fold. But they all refer to an 100-fold soil, an 100-fold harvest. The book of Genesis, way back, it describes an incident where Isaac and Rebekah, they were forced by famine to dwell in the land of the Philistines for a time. And here's how the book of Genesis describes that season in their life. When it should have been impossible and it should have been difficult, but God helped them. Here's what it says. Then Isaac sowed in that land, and he received in the same year an hundredfold. Now here's what's associated with an hundredfold harvest. And the Lord blessed him. An hundredfold harvest signifies the great blessing of God. And the blessing of God doesn't come in your life and just kind of sit there without any impact or effect. When the blessing of God comes on your life, look what happens. And the man waxed great and he went forward and he grew until he became very great. I don't know if you've got it in you right now on a Wednesday night to just think back over the last few years of your life and say serving God has been good to me and the blessing of God has been rich upon me and and there's a redemptive lift when you're in the family of God. God just kind of lifts you up over what you ever could have been or should have been or would have been and you are a different person tonight because of the blessing of God. And hundredfold it indicates not only an incredible harvest, it indicates an extraordinary blessing from God. It affects 
not just your harvest, it affects the entire life of a person. Look what it did to Isaac. It's amazing. And hundredfold does not refer to the number of seeds that each seed would ultimately yield. So it's not saying you plant one seed and you get a hundred seeds or a hundred plants. It's not saying that. It's speaking of the return on the farmer's original financial investment. He spent a hundred denarii to, to buy seed and, and, and he got a, a lot more back. Whatever that multiplier is, that's your harvest. That's your return. So if he gets a hundred times more money from selling his crop than he did from buying seed to plant his crop, that's an hundredfold. Uh, let, let me just kind of drive down on there. A, a single pumpkin seed. Anybody seen a pumpkin recently? You may have. A single pumpkin seed, it can produce 10 to 15 pumpkins. A single pumpkin seed. The total number of seeds each pumpkin contains will be far more than 100. So in a hundredfold in seeds... You plant one seed, you get 100 seeds. If it was pumpkins, that's a very poor harvest. But in this case, for every denarius the farmer spent on seed, he earned 100 denarii in the sale of his crops. So here, here's the point Jesus is making. Even a tenfold return on his crops would be a very healthy return on his investment. To say 30-fold or even 60-fold, that would be a spectacular return on a farmer's investment. You want to believe that our farmers in Canada right now, they would love it if they were doing 30-fold or 60-fold. They would think they had died and gone to heaven. But to say an 100-fold harvest, that is a staggering profit indeed. So when Jesus describes this and says, it's a it's hundredfold harvest. It's a hundredfold return. This is very fertile, very fruitful, very prepared soil. It's amazing. So, here's where we're going tonight. As Jesus tells his story, a few things become very, very clear. Number one, there's only one sower and there's only one source of seed. Period. End of story. Only one sower and only one source of seed. Secondly, nothing is said about the sower's ability or the seed's quality. That never gets mentioned. Nobody talks about the quality of the seed. Nobody talks about the ability, the skill, the technique of the sower. So we're left with this conclusion. The difference in outcomes has nothing to do with the sower, and it has nothing to do with the seed. The difference in outcomes is entirely due to the condition of the soil. If you pull it into Jesus' intended meaning, the return on your investment when you're exposed to the Word of God, it's not determined by the preacher or the teacher. It's not determined by whatever scriptures he uses, the seed that he sows. The return on your investment is entirely due to the condition of the soil of your heart. That's why it's so worth preparing your heart to encounter the Word of God. Why do you think we sing and pray and say, 
Lift your hands and worship. We're preparing the soil of our hearts for the Word of God. And that's a wonderful thing in a service, but can I tell you, 10 or 15 minutes of singing, if you've ignored Jesus all week, that's not going to prepare the soil of your heart. But if you've been praying to God every day, and if you've been in the Word of God every day, the soil of your heart is prepared, and it doesn't matter what pastor stands in this pulpit. It doesn't matter what text they preach from. It's the Word of God, and if the soil of your heart is prepared, you can have a 30-fold, a 60-fold, or even a 100-fold return on that investment of your love for the Word of God. It's amazing. The difference between the seed that bears an hundredfold harvest and the seed that is devoured by birds has nothing to do with the method the sower uses when he casts the seed. The seed that survives and bears much fruit is the very same kind of seed that gets choked out by weeds. The seed that thrives and gives the farmer a great return on his investment, well, it's the very same kind of seed that fails to grow when the ground is stony. There is no problem with the sower and there is no problem with the seed. The lesson Jesus is teaching is all about the soil. It's a very simple story on the surface. But the true significance of what Jesus is teaching, it's not immediately obvious to those people that day on that seashore. Jesus urges his hearers to investigate the meaning of his parable. When he says this, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The, the verb tense in the Greek language, it's, it's called the imperfect tense. All that means is it signifies a repeated or continuous action. And it implies something. It implies that while Jesus was telling this story, every once in a while, a continuous action, a repeated action, every once in a while, as he's telling this story, he stops up and he says, you need to pay attention. You need to have a believing heart. You need to look beyond the surface of my story for the true meaning. Every once in a while when we're engaged in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God in a church service, in a home Bible study, in a youth group, in a Sunday school classroom, every once in a while we just need to kind of do a, you talk about a sound check? I heard about one pastor just this week. Uh, people get up and do sound checks. They say, testing one, two, three. He spent his whole ministry, he passed away recently. He spent his whole ministry saying, trusting one, two, three. Trusting one, two, three. I like that. I may adopt that. Trusting one, two, three. It sure beats testing. I'm so tired of testing. Every once in a while, we just need to do a little heart check. Are we paying attention to the Word of God? Is the Word of God falling on fertile soil right now? Or, or is it that shallow soil that's, that it just kind of looks okay for a few minutes, but then it's gone? Or is it that hardened soil where it can't even penetrate your heart? Uh, or is it that, 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 that soil that's so strangled by everything you've thought about and been through this week, and, and it's just kind of getting choked out? It's not just a once-a-lifetime check. It's an every-time check. It's an everyday check. So I, I just want to say, trust in one, two, three. How many are listening to the Word of God? That's good. You listen with your ears. How many are hearing the Word of God? You hear with your mind. 
But how many are willing to obey the word of God? You obey with your heart. See, that's what James talked about. He said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so this is what Jesus is saying. It looks like from, from the way the Greek is worded here that, that he actually was reminding them over and over again, pay attention, check your heart, make sure you're listening to my story. But here's the thing. Only his disciples and a few other close followers actually took him up on that offer. Only a handful took him up at his word and asked Jesus for an explanation. They were the ones who followed Jesus' teaching rather than just chasing after him for miracles. They were the ones with eyes to see and ears to hear. They were the fertile soil. They were the fruitful hearts. And Luke, in his uh, account of this parable, he tells us specifically that how we hear the word of God directly impacts our hearts. Look at this from Luke. For nothing is secret, Jesus says, that shall not be made manifest. Neither is there anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. It'll be made public. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. What a word that is for us today with all of the distractions we have with technology and media and everything else. Take heed, therefore, how you hear the word. For, whatsoever, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. The one that's digging in and understanding and believing the word of God, God's going to give him more revelation. God's going to give him more understanding. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. He's kind of faking everybody out. He doesn't really have a hunger and a love for the word of God. And Jesus said over time, any revelation he did have, anything he seems to have, it'll just leak out of his life. In his teaching... Jesus revealed truths that the Old Testament had kept shrouded in typology and in symbolism and in all these little prophetic hints. It's all through the Old Testament. Looking backwards from the New Testament, we can see some of those beautiful things. But it was all new when Jesus is teaching this parable. The unveiling of all that truth and all that meaning, it was purposely subtle. It was perfectly told in parables. Why? So that the only people who got it, they were authentic believers who were eager to learn the truth. Those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. They understood the truths Jesus was teaching. Not by some special ability or some extreme spiritual revelation. They understood it simply because they had enough interest and enough hunger to ask Jesus for the interpretation. It's the very same thing today. If you're hungry for the Word of God, if you're in love with the Word of God, it's not enough to listen to Pastor Jack on Sunday and go home and not crack the covers of the Bible for yet another week until next Sunday. That's just not enough. That just won't do. And those kind of people, they're a different kind of soil than a true, authentic, apostolic believer. We can't get enough of the Word of God. We can't get enough of understanding what God God is saying to us, we don't just want a sermon on Sunday. We want a word on Monday to live our life. We want a word on Tuesday to overcome temptation. We want a word on Wednesday that we can pray over our life. We just want a word every day of the week. 
And so these people, they didn't have special revelation or some special gift. They just had enough curiosity and interest and hunger and love to say, Jesus, what does that mean? And that's exactly what happens in this chapter. Although Jesus presented his parables in a way that would obscure the truth from unbelieving hearts, no one was excluded by, against his or her will. If you wanted to understand, if you wanted to dig deep, you could. Anyone who truly wanted to understand what Jesus was saying, he was the most approachable person of his generation. Anybody could have asked him. Anybody could have talked to him. And remember, Jesus right here, he urges every person in earshot, seek understanding. Uh, seek to understand. Seek to, to ask and, and find out and dig deep. Jesus urged everybody to do that. So again, it wasn't the sower that made the difference. It wasn't the seed that made the difference. The listener's heart response on that day and on this day, the listener's heart response is what separates those who believed from those who didn't believe. Those who believed would seek the truth and they would find it. But for those who did not believe, the parables would only further conceal the truth. Their spiritual blindness was compounded by their own unbelief and then further deepened by divine judgment when they didn't believe. That's them. Everyone say, that's them. But that's not us. Here's us. Jesus said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and they haven't seen them. And they've desired to hear those things which you hear and they have not heard them. Can you imagine what would have happened to Isaiah if he had really understood what he was saying when he said for with stammering lips and another tongue will God speak to this people he prophesied it he had no idea what he was really talking about can you imagine if the prophet Joel who said in the last day saith God I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh can you imagine how Joel's mind would have exploded if he could have been dropped in the middle of a Holy Ghost crusade where thousands of people are speaking in other tongues and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it would have blown their minds. They prophesied it under the anointing of God, but they never saw it. They desired to look into it, but Jesus said, but hey, you, my disciples in the New Testament, your ears are blessed and your eyes are blessed because you've heard it and you see it and you get to live it and you've experienced it. We don't have any idea how blessed we actually are. Your head and shoulders above Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, John the Baptist, and all the rest because you live in obedience to the Word of God. That's worth lifting up a hand and a voice and saying, thank you, Jesus, for revelation. Thank you, Jesus, for your Word. Thank you, Jesus, for truth. Thank you, Jesus, for the understanding I have. I may not be a theologian, but hey, I'm a Bible believer, and that beats theologian every day of every week. I'm a Bible believer. I can take God's Word to the bank. Oh, it's amazing. Truths that were mysterious to the Old Testament prophets 
and even to the angels, by the way, they were now being explained to Jesus' first century disciples. And by extension, they're being explained to all of us who would ever devote our lives to following Jesus. Thirty years after that day on the seashore, the apostle Peter was still in awe of the privilege that he had to understand things that the Old Testament prophets and the angels only could guess at, only could get a, a foggy glimpse of. He was still in awe 30 years later when he wrote these words. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. They prophesied of the grace that should come unto all of you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. So they're prophesying, they're, they're speaking it, they're writing it down. But inside of them they're searching for the time. Like, is this going to happen next week, God? Is this going to happen in my lifetime? Is this going to happen in the kingdom of Israel or Judah? They're searching for the time. But they never see it clearly. When it testified, the Spirit is testifying beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The Jews in the first century, they got that all confused because some prophets talked about the suffering of the Messiah. Some talked about the glory of the Messiah and his reign and he would conquer everything and he would rule over everything. And they got that all confused. That's why they crucified Jesus. He didn't meet their expectations. Everybody was kind of peering through a glass darkly in the Old Testament. Unto whom it was revealed. Here's the one thing they understood finally, those Old Testament prophets. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. Finally the prophets came to this realization. As some of them died and as some of them grew old and as some of them lived through incredible trauma and trouble and didn't see their prophecies come true, they finally realized, I'm not speaking to my generation. I'm not speaking to right now. I'm speaking to a people that will come, that should come, that, that, that God has in the future. Do you understand, New Testament church believer, that we are the people that those prophets were prophesying to and prophesying for and prophesying about? We are more blessed than all of them. And Peter says, unto whom it was revealed, not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. You want to thank God for our pastors that get up here every week and preach the gospel and preach the word of God. They are revealing things to us. You say, well, I don't know if that's too deep or I don't know. You may not be very deep is the problem. You see, it's not the seed. What a, what a slap in the face of God's word to walk at the door and say, well, that wasn't very deep. You just revealed something about what isn't very deep. That's what's not very deep. Because I don't care if it's a young person preaching about Acts 2.38 that I've heard 10,000 times. I'm going to get with them. I'm going to thank God. And if it's all review for me, I'm just going to say thank you, Jesus. I got that when I was 12 years old. I've had a lot of years to celebrate that. So God help me. I'm going to celebrate tonight one more time. Because if I took 10,000 words out of every minute of 10,000 years, I couldn't thank God enough for the blessing 
blessing of being a New Testament apostolic Christian who has the word hidden in my heart, who's in covenant with the name of Jesus through baptism. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed and not cursed. I've got all of this because of that word that was preached unto me. So you want to believe I'm going to celebrate the word, regardless of who's preaching. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Oh, there's more. That not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported to you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. If it wasn't good enough to just have the Word, you've got the Word and the Spirit. You've got the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And you might think this is just an ordinary Bible study night. But if you could peel back the clouds and the curtains and you could peer into heaven, right now you might not be. I don't even expect you to be. I'm glad if you are. I'm not even mildly disappointed if you're not. But right now in heaven, there are angels hanging on every word I'm saying. And there are angels hanging on every word that every other apostolic preacher or teacher is saying anywhere on this globe at this moment. Because these are things that the angels desire to look into. I don't want any old angel to be more excited about the word that I've experienced than I am. I don't want an angel to be more interested in revelation from God's word than I'm interested in revelation from God's word. So let, let me keep on going because I could really get stuck there. And I'd drag you all with me. So let's review. Everyone say, it's not about the sower. It's not about the sower. The, the sower is ultimately is the Holy Spirit who through the preaching and teaching of his anointed vessels, it doesn't matter whether it's a teacher in a Sunday school classroom or a home Bible study or, or a preacher or teacher in the pulpit, through his anointed vessels, ultimately the sower, the person uh, sowing the seed is the Holy Ghost through them. He uses anointed people to sow the seed of the word in our hearts. And although God uses different people to share his word with us, at the end of the day, there's really only one sower. And there's really only one source of seed. So everyone say, it's not about the sower. And say this, it's not about the seed. Luke tells us emphatically that the seed is the word of God. It's the word of God. There's no other option here. Jesus said the seed is the word. Nothing at all is said about the sower's ability. Nothing at all is said about the seed's quality. Because the spirit and the word of God, they never change. So, everyone say, it's not about the sower. Say, it's not about the seed. Now say this, it's all about the soil. The difference in outcomes here is entirely due to the condition of the soil. The difference in outcomes is entirely due to the condition of your heart. Only you decide how you hear and obey the Word of God. Your response is your responsibility. Here it is, Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. Jesus said, this is the core of everything I'm teaching. This is the central idea of this whole story. The parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. The seed, the seed is perfect and it is eternally unchanging. 
any attempt to improve the harvest by using different kinds of seed, that would be a misguided dereliction of the farmer's duty. The point of sowing the seed is not merely to produce some dense but ultimately useless foliage. That's not the point. If that was the goal, to just have a bunch of dense growth, the farmer could sow dandelions or tumbleweeds. It wouldn't matter. It's quite true that those kind of plants would germinate and they'd even grow more easily in hardened, shallow, or strangled places. But woe to the farmer who seeks a harvest the easy way. We're not seeking a harvest the easy way. We believe we must preach and teach, believe and obey the word of God. Because way back in the Old Testament, that prophet Isaiah, he spoke these words. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. That's what God says to us. It shall not return unto me void. You get the word of God in a receptive heart. And only God knows all the miracles that will result. All the results that will come. My word shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. You need to be in your life like a big bullseye looking for God's word to land. Jesus over here. I'm the one. I'm receptive to your word. If a prophet comes by and gives a prophecy, I'm the one, Jesus. Send that prophecy my way. If an evangelist comes and they challenge us to go read souls, Jesus, I'm the one. Send that over here. I'm the bullseye waiting for the arrow of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, Capital Community Church, the unadulterated Word of God is the only true and legitimate seed. The sower is anyone who through the anointing of the Holy Ghost shares that seed, the message of God's Word. That could be one of our pastors, but that could be you. It could be in this church, but it could be on your job. It could be to a congregation, or it could be to a family member. It's anybody who's anointed by the Holy Ghost, and they share that Word. They sow that seed. Jesus doesn't even mention the weather. Jesus wouldn't have made a good New Brunswicker. He doesn't even mention the weather. Because the weather was the same for all four types of soil. And the implication that was there, there, there was some soil that gave a hundredfold harvest, well, the implication is the weather was absolutely fine. Thank you very much. If this soil can yield a hundredfold harvest, there was no problem with the weather. The problem is with the soil. The only factor that differentiates between an abundant harvest and a failed crop is the condition of the soil. A person's response to the word of God is entirely dependent on the condition of that person's heart. No other factor. And fruit in your life is the only evidence that you have heard and obeyed the word of God. That there's fruit that grows in your life. No wonder this is the first truth that Jesus taught in his parables of the kingdom. This is the first one. That your heart matters. It's quite different in today's church world. Today's church world adopts all kinds of worldly 
unbiblical, even bizarre methods to try to reach people or get them in their church because they think that will give a better response from hardened, shallow, strangled hearts. So they adjust the way they're preaching and teaching. They adjust what they believe and practice to try to appeal to hardened, shallow, strangled hearts. What a travesty and what a tragedy. Some alter the seed. Some try to manufacture synthetic seed. They try to update the Bible's message or tone down the offense of the cross or explain away some of God's commandments or water down the teaching of the apostles and they like to leave out all the unpopular parts of the scripture. Many end up simply replacing the gospel with a totally different message. Some abandon the sower's task entirely. They decide that throwing seed around, well, that's too primitive and that's too unsophisticated and surely we can figure out a better use for the field than just throwing a bunch of seed in it. Why not forget the hard work of sowing and why don't we use the farmland to host some big flashy events that appeal to a big worldly secular audience? It'll be a quick and easy fix and the results will no doubt be immediately impressive. The problem with all of that in modern Christendom is they've forgotten something that's actually quite important. Jesus' parable is not about enhancing the quality of the seed. Jesus' parable is not about improving the skill of the sower. Jesus' parable is not about finding a more elegant use for the farm. Jesus' parable is all about the condition of the soil. Whether the word of God bears fruit in the life of a hearer or not, it depends ultimately on the condition of that person's heart, not on any other external factors. And that's why Jesus says emphatically and exclusively, the seed is the word of God. So on behalf of our pastors, I would stand here in this pulpit on a Bible study night in the second part of this little series, and I would say, we're not looking for any other seed. We're, we're sold on this seed. We're sold on what the prophets desire to look into and what the angels desire to get a glimpse of. We're sold on the word of God. We're sold on what the apostles preached. We're sold on what the first century church experienced. We're not even looking for another kind of seed. And with good reason. Because the scripture declares, where the word of a king is, there is power. Who can say to that king, what doest thou? Where the word of a king is, there's power. We love this verse around CCC. He sent his word 
and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And in case you just haven't been here in a service when somebody said it, let me repeat it for you. You can get a healing in your body, in your mind, in your family, in your marriage, any service. You don't have to be in a healing crusade. You don't have to line up in a prayer line. You can receive a miracle of healing anytime the Word of God is being taught or preached, including on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Friday night, Bible study on Wednesday night. It doesn't matter. Anytime you're in the presence of the preached Word of God, it's not about the preacher. It's not about the presentation. It's totally about the seed of the Word. And if that seed ever finds a place in fertile soil, in fruitful soil, it can do miraculous things. And if you believe any little bit of what I just said, I wish you'd lift up your hands and just thank God for the Word of God. We're not even looking for any other kind of seed. The Word is too good. The Word is too rich. The Word is too established, and it's too miraculous. Oh, my. Whew. My, 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 my. Kathy, come on back. Peter said this, 30 years after that day on the seashore, he wrote these words. For all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man, all that impressive stuff, it's as the flower of grass. And here's what happens to that. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. No matter how impressive it may be right now, it's going to wither and fall away because it's just flesh. But... The word of the Lord endureth forever. But it's not just that. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. You can take your new birth experience to that eternal heavenly bank because it came from the word of God. It didn't come from a doctrine book. It didn't come from a church council. It didn't come from a denomination. It didn't come from the opinion of a preacher. It came from the seed which is the word. Word of God. It came from the eternal counsel of the Lord Himself. That's why Paul, when he was in jail, here's his prayer request. He didn't say, brethren, pray that somebody brings good meals and warm clothes. Pray that somebody gets me out of here. Pray that my trial goes okay. Here's what he said in the middle of prison. He said, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. I'm in some pretty dire straits. I'm in some pretty distressing circumstances. But all I'm asking you to pray for is that somehow through through my life and through my words, the word of the Lord will have free course and be glorified. Because if I can get the word lifted up, miracles can happen. If I can get the word preached, anything can take place because the seed is the word of God. <laughs> oh, you know I'm going to quote this verse tonight. For the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's why you got to have your heart prepared to receive the word of God because it discerns your thoughts and your intents and it guides you. This word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The devil is not the least bit concerned about your latest religious opinion. He's not the least bit concerned about the latest little revelation you got on Facebook. He could care less. 
Did we tell them that? They just changed the name of the Facebook company to Meta. Did you know this? Meta in Hebrew means dead. Did you know this? The Jewish people, they're having a field day over that one. Everything of the flesh ends up dying. Everything of this world ends up withering. But the word of the Lord, it endures forever. And this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The devil's not scared of all the other stuff that's so impressive about you. But if you get a hold of the Word of God, this is a sword you can use to beat the devil back out of your life, out of your mind, out of your home. This is the sword of the Spirit. It is the seed. It is the Word. It's amazing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So I end this second lesson. We'll continue. we still got four kinds of dirt we need to talk about. But we'll conclude tonight with this. If you've been believing the Word, if you've been praying the Word, if you've been testifying that Word to somebody, if you've been praying somebody's going to come back to their relationship with God and His Word, here's what I've got to say to you tonight. Keep sowing the seed. Because your harvest is coming. Keep sowing the seed. Because your harvest is coming. They that sow in tears. Oh, I got a word for somebody tonight. They that sow in tears. You prayed and you prayed and you cried and you cried and you've interceded and you've agonized. They that sow in tears, there's coming a moment when you shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, he shall doubtless, without doubt, come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves, bringing his hundredfold harvest with him. So if you're believing that word and praying that word and holding on to that word and trying to get through a trial by claiming that word, if you're sharing that word and witnessing about that word and preaching and teaching the word, keep on sowing the seed of the word because your harvest is coming in the name of Jesus. Your miracle is coming in the name of Jesus. Don't stop sowing the seed. Don't stop sharing the word. Your moment of the miraculous is coming. I need this great congregation to rise to your feet, lift your hands in the air, lift your voice higher than your body and your arms, and just give God praise in this room. My soil's not dirt poor. My soil is fertile. My soil is fruitful. I am receiving the Word of God into my life. I don't care who the preacher is. I don't care which service it is. I don't care what time it is. Here's what I know. If I can get that word into a fertile heart it can do the miraculous oh I wish this great church would lift your voice and pray you're such great people I wish you'd lift your voice and pray and respond to the presence of God and the presence of his word the word is in this room tonight the word is in this church tonight the word is in this place tonight Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. 
<laughs> Somebody that's hanging on for a miracle and you've claimed that scripture over and over and over again. Keep sowing that seed. Your miracle's coming. Somebody trying to get through a trial and it's so dark and it hurts so much, but you've got a scripture. You've written it down, pasted it on your fridge. It's part of your life. Keep sowing that seed. Your healing, your miracle, your deliverance is coming. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm here.